0: In recent years, the doxing of Palestinians on Twitter has gained traction as a tactic by far-right Zionist organizations. This tactic has resulted in the complete weaponization of social media against Palestinians. Everything from your tweets, to your Facebook posts, to even your Instagram likes can be used against you by far-right Zionist actors who will put together an elaborate profile of individuals with so-called evidence of their anti-Semitism. The conflation of anti-Zionism and anti-Semitism runs rampant on these blacklist websites and their affiliated Twitter accounts. Social media is becoming an increasingly hostile place for Palestinians. Young Palestinian Americans are finding themselves being fired from jobs, expelled from universities, and having to deal with libel that's circulated about them for years on the internet. It has been shown as well that Israel oftentimes pulls up the profiles of Palestinian Americans on these Zionist blacklist websites when these individuals attempt to visit their homeland, and they are oftentimes denied entry. What happens in the digital sphere is having a material impact on Palestinians. This is a growing problem of free speech digital rights, and academic freedom. I spoke with three Palestinian-American students who have been targets of right-wing Zionist blacklists and their affiliated websites. The first person I spoke with was Omar. Omar is a writer, poet, independent scholar, and organizer. He's the education and advocacy coordinator for Eyewitness Palestine and is a member of the Palestinian youth movement and the U.S. campaign for the cultural and academic boycott of Israel. Omar holds a PhD in comparative literature from the University of California, Los Angeles. The first thing I asked Omar was how being included on a blacklist like Canary Mission has impacted his life.
1: I think, you know, I'm in a very fortunate camp because Canary Mission did not affect me at all. And, you know, um it and this is something that I was gonna touch on earlier, but I forgot to. But I think part of it too is that it's just it's so ridiculous you know it's not just the act of being blacklisted but if you actually go through the site like this is really a fanatically far right project and it's very clear not even just in terms of how they talk about palestine but how they talk about you know the muslim students association for example the way that they throw around you know accusations of terrorism like it's clearly a fanatic far right project anybody with any sense is not going to believe this right and unfortunately, our problem is that a lot of people don't have sense, especially when it comes to Palestine, all of a sudden, the things, the convictions they have, they become like these very uh, basic platitudes, right? And it's something I've always thought of as being kind of the magic of Israel. Like you can have this very nuanced understanding of power dynamics and capitalism, but then when you start talking about Palestine, it becomes the most juvenile, you know, not even political analysis. It's as well, you know, isn't it complicated? Well, you know, don't Jews and Muslims just not like each other, right? Like, so people have a very underdeveloped political analysis when it comes to Palestine. And of course, that's not an accident, right? That's a effect of, you know, corporate media, you know, of um, imperialism using corporate media as a tool. So that's kind of the the lay of the land, you know, where we find ourselves. But, you know, that sense of this is just so ridiculous. I'm not going to give it any time. I'm not going to take it seriously. I think helped because... You know, I I kept working with SJP, I kept writing about Palestine, you know, I finished graduate school, and now I work for a nonprofit, you know, currently where we do delegations to Palestine. So, you know, and what we saw in May, I think, was very galvanizing and inspiring for a lot of people, because we know that when we're united together, we're unstoppable, right? And these things really happen when there's a fear, when there's a paranoia. Right. We've rejected the Oslo paradigm. We know we're not divided. We know we're united together in a liberation struggle. And khalas, that's it. Nobody's going to take it away anymore. You know, whether it's Canary Mission or whether it's, you know, Abbas himself, like khalas, you know, it's all the same. So I think that really whatever we can do to just inculcate that sense in everybody that we're all together. You know, and these things have always been tactics that Zionists will use to try and intimidate and delegitimize us. Um, you know, but they're not going to work because, you know, we're bound together by a cause for justice and liberation.
0: The next person I spoke with was Rasha. Rasha is a PhD candidate in chemistry at John Hopkins University. She has taught over 200 students as a graduate student and was promoted to head TA for her stellar work. In November of 2020, she became the subject of an international smear campaign by pro-Israel groups that has entailed death threats and attempts to get her fired. Almost a year later, the Zionist lobby has not let up on their attacks against her. Despite these attacks, Russia continues her research into more ethical, next-generation batteries. She demonstrates what it means to be a successful Palestinian in a field entrenched in Zionism and aims to bring in an anti-militarist lens to her work. I asked Russia what happened to her. Who began this international smear campaign? And what has the impact of this campaign been on her professional life as a graduate student and her personal life as an organizer?
2: Basically, what happened with me is this anonymous individual reported me um, to my department and then subsequently notified many different organizations. Those organizations include The Brandeis Center, Stand With Us, Stop Anti-Semitism, and Canary Mission. Those are the ones that I am mostly aware of. Um, They claim to be from Canada and whatever. The first clue that I had that this might start getting bigger than just like a complaint to the department was not even until January. So this was like November 20th, but I didn't have a clue that it was going to get big until January. I thought it was going to be a very traditional... We posted on you, posted about you, we reported you to your department. They won't leave me alone about my they won't leave me alone about my tweets. And their recent demand to the university is that the, that the university break FERPA and share the outcome of my case. And on top of that, for the university administration to accept IHRA as definition of anti-Semitism. I think a lot of people right now are really, really scared of Canary Mission. And uh, it's been a really big theme that I've been hearing um, over the course of the intifada of like people not wanting to do things because they're scared of Canary or like curbing their language or things like that. I think that's giving Canary Mission a lot more power than they actually have. And I'm literally like, I can't, there's not like every single one of my nightmares has come true of like being smeared um And ones that I didn't even imagine. And I'm still a functional human being. Like, I'm still in my program. Like, I'm still doing my research. I'm still a chemist. Like, that hasn't changed. And I think people need to, like, the liberation struggle always requires risk. And we have to be willing to take on those risks. And even if Canary Mission writes a gigantic profile on you, even if you have articles in the Times of Israel and Jerusalem Post and the Washington Post and all of this shit, then that doesn't mean that you can't live your life and you should still keep going.
0: Finally, I spoke with Yasmin. Yasmin is a 21-year-old Muslim-Palestinian civil engineering student at the University of Southern California. Her political views and social media posts have subjected her to targeted harassment by the Zionist lobby that has led to punishment from her university, extended media attention, and an FBI visit to her home. It's worth noting that Yasmin, like Russia and many others, was utilizing an anonymous Twitter account before she was doxxed by Stop Anti-Semitism and Canary Mission. That Twitter account had no outward affiliation to her university, yet once she was doxxed, her university removed her from a position. And efforts by the same Zionist organizations who doxxed her continued to remove her from her position as a DEI senator. The
3: account was completely anonymous at the time. I had no photos of myself, no like school, no nothing. Um, here's the mistake that I made though. I had my Instagram and Twitter handles were both the same and I didn't have anything about my school or anything like that, uh, on my Instagram either, but in the people that I follow, I follow some organizations from my school and they ended up scrolling through one org that I was in two years ago and found me posted as a board member. And they somehow knew that it was me. And I'm not exactly sure how or why, but it The tweets, usually when someone tweets something, it's like the next day, like Canary Mission gets it or like whoever gets it and posts it. For me, it was like a tweet from a month earlier. So it took them a whole month to find out who I was. And the screenshot was old. So I know that they took the screenshot and they searched for a month to find out who I am. And they finally found it and it was like treasure for them. And they kept posting it over and over and over, same one.
0: Yasmin has since been in a legal battle with her university. She's been supported by Palestine Legal and FIRE a free speech nonprofit.
3: Um, I ended up getting on Canary Mission sometime, I believe, last month, so in October. And that's when FIRE reached out to me, which is just like, you know, organization like the free speech um, organization that defends students on college campuses. They ended up reaching out to me and I asked uh, my lawyer at Pally Legal, hey, do you think I would be able to speak with them? I got consent for that and everything. And the case was passed over to them. So they ended up writing this 10-page long letter to USC on why they're wrong for their stance. And we gave them a deadline of November 15 to respond. So we gave them a few weeks and they ended up asking to get time till November 19. So this is pretty recent. And USC ended up giving this response that pretty much echoes what they told Pally Legal. Like, no, we did not break the Leonard law. We didn't do this. And um, the reason why we're removing Yasmin is because she doesn't, she's not a representative of freshman academy. Essentially, my position was a TA. I was a TA for a class and it's for first year students. So they didn't, they said that my speech means that it doesn't reflect a role model who represents USC Viterbi.
0: Yasmin's case has surpassed the traditional Zionist media network and has now entered far right and conservative media spaces as well. Coordinated attacks against her online continue, pressing heavily for her university to take action against her. However, even that didn't shock me as much as hearing that she received a home visit from the FBI.
3: The FBI came to my house and I got a knock at the door, and my sister answered because I was at work. I was not home. My sister answered the door and she was like, can I help you? Because she thought they were insurance workers with the way that they were dressed. And they were like, oh, we're here to speak to Yismin Mashaikh." And my sister's like, I'm sorry, who are you? So they pulled out their badges and they're like, FBI, we're here to speak with Yismin Mashaikh." And she said that they had printouts of my tweets on like a folder. And she, I told her to just, she called me and I'm like, just take their number. And like, take their number, put it on a note, whatever, take their card and we'll call them back, tell them, her lawyer will reach out to you, so she, they ended up not giving me a card, they gave her, like, a phone number with the agent's name on, like, a sheet of paper, and it was, like, torn out of a legal pad, and she gave it to me, and I pass it to, like, my lawyer from Pell Legal, and they call, and she's, like, this is just the general FBI number, so she asked for the person whose name was ran on there, and they were just, like, um, she was, like, Oh, we wanna meet with Yasmin or like we wanna meet with both of you, obviously, because like now they know I have a lawyer, wanna meet with both of you. So she was like, Okay, well let me talk to my client and I'll get back to you. So she's like, What's your number? And the FBI agent wouldn't give the number and my lawyer's just like, Why not? And then she was just like well, we don't want your client posting it online because she posts a lot of things and I can't meet with her alone. My my partner has to come with me.
0: From these three conversations alone, we can see the intense level of pressure being put on Palestinians who utilize digital spaces and how these spaces have been weaponized. Despite this all, my interviewees reiterated that they would not stop speaking out or utilizing digital platforms to express their Palestinian identity. Digital spaces are being reclaimed by Palestinians despite the risks. Now the question is, what will it take for these coordinated campaigns against Palestinians online to be rejected as the racist attacks that they are? A heartfelt thank you to my interviewees for speaking with me about such a personal issue. Included in the blog post below are more sources on how Palestinians are fighting back against the weaponization of digital spaces, be it from coordinated Zionist attacks or from tech companies themselves. Thank you so much for listening.
4: You've been listening to Status Audio Magazine. The Status is produced by the Arab Studies Institute in partnership with Voices of the Middle East and North Africa, co-sponsored by George Mason University's Middle Eastern Studies Program and the American University of Beirut's Asfari Institute for Civil Society and Citizenship. Interested in pitching an interview, a program episode, or becoming a partner, email our associate producer, Paola Messina, at paola at To listen to more conversations, on-the-scene reports, and discussions, visit our website, statushour.com, or subscribe via iTunes and listen to us on the go. You can also friend us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Thanks for listening and for more conversations please visit statushour.com